Hey, AV Clubbers, this is your senior editor, John Tatey, here with another edition of Mom on Pop, the podcast where my mom, Bonnie Tatey, opines on all nature, all manner of pop culture. Mom, are you there? Are you on the end of the line? I hope so. Oh, good. We're connected. We're connected through the internet, through the telephone, through every mode of communication is being used to make this podcast right now. Well, I hope it's clearer than the last one, because people thought it sounded funny. Well, I thought it sounded funny, too. Oh, well, I don't have quite the ear for that, then, I guess. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about Poking a Dead Frog, the uh, book uh, of conversations with comedy writers by Mike Sachs. And we're also going to be talking about Nathan for you. Uh, but first, Mom, I understand you have an update on your vendetta against the post office. So if for people who didn't hear a couple episodes ago that you um, put the post office on your ARIA list... A right. little Game of Thrones reference. Uh, just recap quickly what happened and what has happened since. Well, it was just that I tried to mail a package using, um, a, reusing a priority box through the mail. And even though I had covered everything up that would indicate it was a priority box, when I tried to mail it for the second time with the same person, she said, well, I still have to charge you priority because I remember that box being in here two hours ago. So She caught you. She caught me, but I still think the post office is wrong. Okay, so now you you told me before we started recording that uh, you have ended your vendetta. Now that's, that's all I know, and tell me what happened. This is a short vendetta, only a month or so. Well, it is, and the reason that it ended was because I forgot I wasn't speaking to her, and I went in the post office and I said, have a nice day, which I think then negates your vendetta. I had to let it go. Wow, I see. So I like how you're very, uh, you really adhere to these imaginary rules of a vendetta. These are not imaginary. These are my real rules. They're not imaginary. Well, I mean, it was very nice of you to say, have a nice day. I don't know that that necessarily, maybe you just put the vendetta on hiatus for a day. I don't believe in that. If you have a vendetta, you have a vendetta. I slipped up. You can't go back in the next day and then not talk, or you just look like a lunatic. So you were going to the post office and not speaking to this person? Yes. Oh, how did you conduct transactions? Oh, she wasn't speaking to me either. I see. Well, that same question. (laughs) I would step up to the window and hand over my yellow slip to get my package, and she would just hand me the package, and that was it. We didn't say, thank you, here's your package, what's your box number, nothing. I see. But So the only conversations you've had is saying, have a nice day. Right. Since the vendetta began. And has she said anything to you? Well, after I said, have a nice day, by accident, she said, oh, you have a great one, too. Oh, now, see, isn't that nice? See how easy it was to end this? And doesn't that feel so much better than hating this person for the rest of your life? No. <laughs> Why not? That's, I enjoy that. I enjoy being angry at somebody. <laughs> But doesn't it, it makes you feel black and corrodes your soul. I love making up. 
I especially I love feeling black. Oh, I love making up, you know, if it's with daddy or somebody like that. I love that. But on the outside, these people, these evil people, no. I um I was once visiting someone in an apartment building in New York, and uh, I, it was a huge building that's, that went down the whole block, and I w- had to go into a particular entrance for the particular address I was going to. So this building included like 525, 535, 545 West um, 23rd Street, right? right? All one building. So I went into one, and I said, hi, I'm, I'm here to see Joe in uh, apartment 14D. And the guy just stared at me and just like shrugged at me. And I just said, uh, I didn't know what else to, to do. And, you know, he just, just kind of treating me like I'm an idiot. And so finally he says, what building? And I said, oh, well, it's 325. And, but I was irritated. You know, I didn't, I right. didn't appreciate, especially this, it must happen all the time. And I'm sure that's why he gave me the attitude because this happens all the time, right? right? You don't realize that you have to specify the address when you walk in the building. So I, you know, I got salty with him and I said, you know, look, you can just ask me. I don't need the sign language act. What is this? You know, so I, we sort of argued a little bit and then I went up and visited and then I, I came down and I said, look, I'm sorry. I've been having a bad day. I know you're just doing your job. And, uh, and that was, we shook hands. And so whenever I went by that building, we had a little bond now. Now it wasn't just we were on friendly terms. We, we'd been through some shit together. And now we were, you know, even better acquainted than we would have been. And I really like that. So now maybe you can be great friends with this woman at the post office because... I you- have no intention. I called, the, I called the postmaster in Andover on her today. You called the... What, what did she do? Well... She didn't even come to the window, and some old lady that some old lady came to the window and got my mail for me, and I think it was her mother. She said, "Oh, she's being a big help to me. Um, I have to catch up from when I was on vacation." Yeah. Well, so what the hell is that? Well, who cares? God, it sounds. I care. I care. You can't even put up on the post office the the board anymore that you're having a yard sale or you lost your cat you're nothing but official business can go up there but she can bring her mother in to work the window that's crap so the root of this conflict is the bulletin board policy then well i find it a little irritating no the root of this is that she wouldn't mail my package and then i could just i went to another town and they just mailed it god it sounds like she's having a hard time I I hope so. <laughs> well, the more we talk about it, the more sympathetic I get to the poor woman who works the post office. And oh, has to... I, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I knew it would go this way. You just don't understand me. No, I understand you quite well. You're... I don't want to talk about this anymore. Okay, okay. Well, this is this was excellent radio, though. A lot of raw feelings here. Uh, and we're going to move on to talk about Nathan for you. Now, we haven't talked about this at all. Sometimes we kibitz a little bit before the show. So I'm very nervous because I love Nathan for you. I think it's one of the smartest comedy shows I've ever seen. It has a lot of heart. But what did you think of it? Which episodes have you seen and what did you think of it? I watched 8-Minute Delivery 
Pooh frozen yogurt. Yep. Job interviews with him using a an earbud to talk to to the people. Right. Right. He's got someone out in the van coaching him. John Benjamin out in the van telling him what to say. Right. Oh, is that who that is? I think he had John Benjamin, and then didn't he have like a seven year old? I haven't seen that one in a while. Yeah. But... So it, he had a turtle. Right. <laughs> turtle. And a seven year old. Um, and then I saw a blind date at Quiznos. Yeah. The five-star review on Yelp for The Private Detective. Right. Oh, that's a classic. Taxi Conversations, yay or nay. Oh, I love that one. Because I always, I never want a conversation in the cab. I agree. Right? So he set up a little, what did he, he set up a little touchscreen interface in the back of the cabs and people could choose whether they wanted a conversation or not, right? Right. That's right. All right. So that's a lot of, did you see any more recent ones from the second season? No, Probably I didn't. Not, right? I think this show is just absolute and complete crap. <laughs> I don't think there's one funny thing on this show. I just, I hated this show. And I don't even like him. Oh, you don't like Nathan? Nathan's the most lovable part of it. To me, this is the biggest Borat ripoff I could ever imagine. This is... The two 12-year-old boys could put together... Oh, boy. Wow. I think this is much more sophisticated than Borat. Really? Yeah, I do. I think that he's, you know, I think that he comes up with these amazing experiments in human nature. Yeah. Pooh frozen yogurt. Well, I don't think that... Pooh flavored frozen yogurt. You think that's ingenious? (laughs) This is what I sent you to Dartmouth for? (laughs) Well, this... (laughs) I'll I'll admit that the poo frozen yogurt is not my favorite one, but I I think that overall the show is yes quite brilliant because I think that he finds interesting ways to poke at the poke at the standards of our society and of our laws, uh, and I think that he discovers just interesting things about human beings. Did you watch the gas station episode that I recommended I didn't, to you? Because I just found this slip of paper that I wrote some other notes on, and I didn't see the gas station one. Um, but I, I, I don't, but he's not even likable. Well, he just seems, this is, here's my question for you, Johnny, about yes, this show. Sure. You know how sometimes you see people and you think, you know, they're, they're acting a certain way and you think, oh, I really like that. I really, you know, I think he's really handsome or, cute or whatever. I suppose, And then you yes. see them on a talk show, and they are complete assholes. And you realize that they're just playing a character. Mm-hmm. So I look at this guy, and I just can easily believe he's, he just has no personality, he's not interesting, and he's just <sighs> trying to be bizarre. You know, you sound a lot like the private investigator who called Nathan the Wizard of Loneliness. So were you satisfied when the P.I. started making fun of Nathan? Well, no, I didn't like that. I I was still on his side, you know. Okay, good. Yeah, I was still on his side. Well, he's definitely playing a character. I mean, there's no... That's obvious, but I I do... I think that he's playing... He's The way he's put it is that he uh, is playing like a younger, more awkward version of himself. So I think that there's some of him in it, but I just, 
what I find so fascinating about it is that the disparity between the TV cameras being there and this host who is so awkward and so seemingly insecure. And I love seeing people try to contend with that. Should I take this guy seriously? Do I just go along with it? They always end up going along with it because he doesn't really give them room not to. But it's right. fun to watch them perch on that on that edge there. And I felt great discomfort. I felt uncomfortable. I have to say, I wasn't sure whether you would like this show, even though I love it. I'm not sure it's a it's a show for mom. But um, that's interesting to me. Is it the cringe part of it? You don't like that? Cause there's I don't off- like that, no. Uh, there's often debates on the on the site uh, among the commenters about cringe comedy, even in the Nathan for you comments, I see readers saying, you know, that just, I could hardly even watch that. It made me cringe too uncomfortable. Um, They're not saying that they hate it because of that, but they, I think they kind of enjoy it. But what about like on the office when Michael Scott is doing something bone, especially boneheaded and insensitive and that's kind of cringeworthy comedy. Do you mind that? Or is that different for you? You know why I didn't mind that? Because in the end, he always did something endearing that that brings you back into the fold again. Right. And and I think that's what this show lacks. You know, if 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 Nathan walked out of the blind date at Quiznos and got hit by a bus, I would just, you know, dust my hands off and. Okay. But in that Quiznos segment, Nathan is fighting for the uh, two daters to be able to have their blind date. He's taking up arms against the Quiznos woman to let the let them have a real reaction to each other. So I think he's fighting for the forces of good in that one. He's a little vague for me. Vague. What does that mean? Um, he lacks enthusiasm. Um... <laughs> You know, there's a there's an episode from this season in which uh, people who don't care for Nathan's approach uh, focus group him on the fly and sort of remake him. It would be interesting for you to watch that one. Yeah. What is that about? What is that called? Um, I forget what the title of that one is, but if you if you look at my reviews on the site, you can find it. I know you never read anything that I write, but uh, if you put it on Twitter, I'll read it. That's not, I put all my Nathan for you reviews on Twitter. Well, I, I I don't understand this why comes, I don't get this on. This comes up quite often. I think you maybe have blocked me on Twitter or some such. No, no, you said that was impossible. I'm really more of a Facebook girl. I see, I see. Yeah, I'm not really into the Facebook. Yeah, I know. It's too, I don't want to hear about everybody's, you know, babies and... Really? I had a very interesting story on there yesterday about how I found Toast's new little cuddle spot. Toast being your cat. Yes. Uh, that's that sounds fascinating. I'm sorry I missed that one. What well, I'm going to tell you it right now. Yeah, okay. I went and I got a towel might. out of the linen closet and wiped my face off as I got out of the shower, and it was all full of cat hair. Oh, yeah. That's happened to me, definitely. Oof. That is no fun coming right out of the shower. It is not. It, feels, it is disgusting. <laughs> it feels like you got to jump right back in. Right. Well, that's what I did. <laughs> you can't fight with cat hair no you can't no it wins every time all right well i'm sorry to hear that you didn't like uh, nathan for you i will say that you should have watched the gas station episode because that's sort of the iconic one and it would have gotten at some of your complaints i think because he's very humane in that one and it ends up being quite sweet um, all right well i will watch it i'll put something in the comments when i watch it okay 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 
and uh, I'll I'll get you uh, I'll get you uh, screeners to look at the the other episodes. Okay. Because I think we can still turn this one around. I think you can find the charm in Nathan. I All think right. he's one of the most inspired comedians of his generation. Oh, that that is not true. It's true. It's I true. I don't believe you. That's no. I'm being honest. I'm not exaggerating. I know it, and I don't believe you. Well, you don't agree with me. You Sorry, believe that that's my opinion, right? That right. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Are we really going to get into that kind of thing? Well, I was just. I didn't. I thought you were accusing me of, you know, just drumming up enthusiasm for the readers, which I was not. Well, usually you and I have a can agree on on something that's funny. Usually. Usually, yeah. It's very rare that we would be this uh, so Far opposed apart. like this. Right. Um, all right, should we move on to our, our next topic, which is... Yes, uh, because I think this one is what I have most notes on, so... Okay, well, you had a lot of you had a lot to say, Nathan, for you. It just was all vitriol. Who do you hate more, the woman at the post office or Nathan Fielder? Oh, um, I'm going to have to say the woman at the post office, because, okay. you know, I can, I can view hate towards her, so... <laughs> Nathan doesn't really care if I don't like him, I'm sure. I hope not. I don't know. He may listen to this. His feelings may be hurt. Well, then he should shape up. (laughs) Well, if you're listening, Nathan, I love you, and I think you're a genius. And I'm sure your own mom loves you, too, Nathan. I'm sure she does. I hope she does. Um, So we're talking about poking a dead frog, conversations with top comedy writers. And uh, why why did you get interested in this book? Well, I don't remember now. Okay. Well, that's a good story. It it showed up once. Maybe my sister read it. My sister read it. Okay. All right. And I would just like to say um, two things before we start. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. We've kind of started already, but we can can put it on hiatus, just like you're doing with your vendetta with the post office woman. (laughs) Well, it isn't really a hiatus, but what I wanted to say (laughs) is that I read Poking a Dead Frog first, mm-hmm. and then I went back and read, and here's the kicker. Which is another book by the same by the same guy, Mike Sachs. Exactly. Okay, and uh, so you must have loved Poking a Dead Frog. I, I enjoyed it very much. I really did, because it had a lot of food for thought in it, I think, talking to these writers. Mm-hmm. It made me realize that for instance, when I watch, I'll say just Jimmy Fallon, you know, on TV, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, oh, he's so funny. He's so funny. It's good to remember he's not funny. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's great to remember that. <laughs> Donna, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's not People all him. All those jokes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it takes talent. I mean, he's, I, I actually think Jimmy Fallon is, is funny, even if I'm not yeah. crazy about The Tonight Show, but it takes talent to deliver it. But yeah, right. there's, um, he's working with a, with a team of writers who are sort of informed by his sensibility. But it's, right. um, I do like how you know, pretty much all of the TV writers emphasize how it's uh, a team effort, except for that one woman who wrote, who has been writing since the days of radio, and she's like, yeah, I cranked out. 10,000 scripts all by myself. Well, that was very interesting because I do think times were different. And um, as you know, I do listen to the old radio shows um, on on Sirius Radio, and I actually have her in my notes. 
Oh, really? Uh, mm-hmm, because like you've I know, heard her show. No, I have never heard her show. Oh, and I, I do listen to a lot of, you know, I listen to all of the old shows that are on this station. Um, I didn't used to listen to them in the beginning because I felt sad when I listened to them that everyone was dead. But then I yeah. sort of got hooked on them again because they're very attractive. The dialogue is so beautiful and so much more full than the dialogue that we use today. Very Interesting. rich. On the, so you're talking about like these old-time radio dramas. Right. Yeah. Like you know Johnny Dollar, who's an insurance investigator, and Fibber McGee and Molly, and the Jack Benny show, and the language that they use is is very stimulating to your mind. Peg Lynch is the name of the yeah, writer Peg who we're talking Lynch. about, and she wrote Ethel and Albert, which uh, I have never heard. Neither have I, uh, but I still found her interview fascinating. Uh, I have to say there were points when I was reading through this book, it has interviews with uh, James Downey, Saturday Night Live, uh, Mike Schur from Parks and Recreation, Bruce Valanche, Mark Maron, Amy Poehler. There's a lot of big names in this. Um, I, f- I found that I started flipping ahead uh, like when, we, when I got to the advice parts often. Oh, yeah. Uh, because... It sort of all seemed the same after a while. Well, that's right. It, 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 to me, too, it felt the same after a while, and sometimes it was just contradictory. One guy thinks that, uh, you know, don't read comedy, don't read too much comedy, or else you're just going to steal someone else's voice. And then, <laughs> and then Mike Scher from Parks and Rec says, you've got to steep yourself in it. You just must right. study it. You must study it. <laughs> and, you know, I really find... I, you know, as a writer, especially when I was an aspiring writer in in college and high school, I mean, I'm always an aspiring writer, always trying to get better. But, you know, when I was just starting out, I would really gobble up this this advice and take it as gospel. And, you know, what I've learned is that you really have to forge your own path with writing. Writing is such an, even if you're working as part of a comedy team, like it's such a personal act still that your process is really going to be Definitely. distinctive to you. So because, I, you're, yeah. because your voice is distinctive. Well, if you're any good, yeah. It's not that I didn't find the advice useful and I didn't think it would be helpful, especially to someone starting out, but it's just, I find it much less interesting than the stuff in the book where they're talking about process. Um, Exactly, and that's the stuff that I found interesting. Um, He did seem, this Mike Sex, seemed quite taken, uh, uh, not right or wrong, I'm saying, with writers of The Onion because he had one, two, three, five interviews with people from The Onion. Right. Are any of them there now? I don't think any of them were, were are here now. Carol Kolb? No. Will Will Tracy? Will Tracy now writes, recently left, now writes for Last uh, last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Oh, that's another show. Um, oh, wait, wait a minute. You don't like Last Week Tonight? It's too much of him. It's just too much of his voice. I just want him to shut up after a while. Huh. It's funny because the problem I have with it is that often their pre-taped, pre-edited segments that don't have him are are not great. Um, I also, yeah. not that we need to get on a whole tangent with John Oliver, but I also think that whoever's doing wardrobe for him on that show, he looks like a child. Oh, I agree. Do you th- I agree. Anna and I call it Baby Does the News because it's... <laughs> 
he needs a new stylist. Anyway. Moving on. Even working in the Onion office and understanding their process pretty well, I... I loved the the Will Tracy chapter where he looked through headlines that were accepted and headlines that were rejected. Right. And, and yes, why. I like that too. Uh, yeah. I just, I mean, and I've I've had conversations with the with the guys here about that stuff, and I just love hearing them talk about it. Um, so I found that fascinating. That was the stuff that I really got into. I also loved the. Um, the Todd Levin talked about his Conan O'Brien submission packet. I found yeah. that fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like a lot of these people came into writing just by some quirk of the situation. Yeah. You know, like falling down subway stairs or something. Yeah. It was very, it was just sort of interesting. You know, there's no advice to give to that. Things just happened because they did. Well, that comes up. That comes up often, especially when he's talking to the older comedy writers, um, like Henry Beard, um, the, this old National Lampoon editor. You know, these people always talk about how they got into it by accident, and how nowadays there's just so many more people who are getting into it on purpose yeah. Um, yeah. and and are pursuing it as as a career. Right. That's right. Well, you know, I have to say that when you said um, you were going to major in, what, television and something, I thought, oh, my God, here's money down the drain. <laughs> well, I majored in film and television criticism, and now I uh, I have a job doing that. So not that's not too bad, right? Right. But at the time, I thought, oh, my God, you know, what is he going to be like? talking about the howdy douche. I mean, you know, I didn't have any imagination for what you were going to be doing. Well, you know, I wanted to get into into TV production, and of course, right out of school, I did. Uh, you know, I landed at that in that uh, AP job at The Daily Show, uh, and it was interesting to me, it was interesting to me in terms of my own experience to hear all these people talking about how... Uh, people pursued it as a career path and they really right. and you know i was around people in the new york comedy scene like i you know when i was doing improv and stand-up i was always around people who you could tell the people who intended to be on saturday night live in five years right. yeah um, and they yeah. just had a certain uh, i manner. think they had a certain manner i would say for the good ones i would characterize it as a certain focus and for the lousy ones i would characterize it as an obsession and there were far more obsessed people than there were right. smart focused people but i honestly i also wonder about this career path idea because i you know after a couple of years at the daily show doing the same thing i thought i can't just keep doing this like right. i just don't have the stomach to keep doing the same thing and hope that it will pay off someday when meanwhile my life is is slipping away and i really took to the internet because you can create things and have them out there and you can you can sort of have a certain audience while you're developing yourself right whereas that's difficult yeah. though don't you think because you don't really know who your audience is there. Well, you don't, but you find it. You know, it's it's the the internet is just this constant adventure in finding your audience. Uh, and I think that there's, you know, because of the nature of the people that he interviewed in this book, that's what was missing for me is really a lot of discussion about what it's like today and how the internet has has changed so much of this they yeah. touch on it and i know yeah. you know i know they're talking to the onion folks and whatnot but i think that the career path has this idea of a career path has become shaggy again 
uh, almost as Do soon you as really? It, I think so. But you know, this is just me, and this gets to this gets to um, a broader point about the book is that so many of these pronouncements about the comedy industry. It's really just the people projecting their own experience onto the rest of the industry. And I wonder how much these rules that they say really hold. I think that comedy is such a wonderfully fragmented um, mosaic of different career paths and different talents that I think it's very hard for any one writer to make these sweeping statements that many of them do in in the book. But, you know, that's not really a fault of the book. I still found that interesting. Right. I mean, and and let me just say this to you. One one thing that I did write down here was the in the interview with James Downey, um, he he had an objection to uh, writing for a recurring role because he felt like your best jokes are written the first time. Right. And this is James the, Downey, the the SNL uh, sketch writer, longtime SNL sketch writer. Just so the folks know. Sorry. That's all right. He said it, he felt like it was the same sketch, spray-painted a different color. But, you know, how excited were we to see Stefan or whoever we absolutely loved on Saturday Night Live? You want to see him again. Yeah, that I, you know, I'm more with him on this one. I really think that I could do without the recurring characters. Really? I could. Even Stefan, Stefan, who I loved, but you must admit that what um, Downey says about Stefan absolutely applies to I, that I agree. Character, I do right? agree. It was the same thing every time. And But do you think people cared? Well, obviously people don't because they keep doing it. I mean, the show is awash in recurring characters. I mean, I think I first became aware of it when they kept bringing the cheerleaders back. Um, and every time I said, you know, Will Ferrell and Sherry O'Terry doing these cheerleaders. And every time I think I said, this has got to be the last time. Yeah. Or Gilly. Oh, my God. How funny was Gilly the first time? And then how <laughs> terrible was it every time after that? You're right, but you know it's. I I find that very hard. All right, so I think we both recommend uh, poking a dead frog, and Nathan for you gets a four star review from mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> next time we're going to be talking about. Uh, I'm going to ask mom to watch Married at First Sight, which is this bizarre incredibly invasive reality show on the uh, FYI network, which I didn't even realize existed until a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to be watching a documentary called uh, Unhung Hero, which is pretty much what it sounds like from what I gather. Mom, thank you for your time. Thank you. For Bonnie Tatey, I am John Tatey, and this has been Mom on Pop. Hey, we're on iTunes now, so subscribe, put it in your podcast player, and enjoy. Hope to see you next time. So long for now.